Duke's mail. Do you get it? Because only the ones that get it really get it. Your friends get it. Your mom gets it. Your grandma gets it. Your neighbors get it. Sometimes a dog gets it. Get out of there. What else? Uh, your potato salads get it. BLTs get it. Tailgates get it. And restaurants get it, too. By now, even you probably get it. So get it today. Made without any sugar since 1917, Duke's is that little southern something that makes good things better. Get Duke's. It's got twang. Welcome to Episode 2 of Hops and Ledgers, brought to you by Whitfleet CPAs and Consultants in conjunction with Beer Guys Radio. Hops and Ledgers will feature quarterly episodes on a variety of topics to help launch and grow your brewing business. In Episode 1, we discuss some options for financial relief for brewers amid the coronavirus pandemic. Now, as breweries across the country begin to reopen, we'll share some insight and advice from brewers on how to safely make the transition. I'm Tim Dennis with Beer Guys Radio, and I'm joined today by Pat Tooley of Whipfley to host and guide our discussion. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thanks, Tim. Whipfley is proud to host this series of Hops and Ledgers, the business of beer. Our accounting firm delivers results that transform through industry experts that form lasting relationships with our clients. We work with over 100 craft breweries across the country. I reside in Atlanta and head up our craft beer practice in the southeast, and joining me today from our Denver, Colorado practice is Justin Wenzelman, my West Coast counterpart. Our guests today are both clients of our respective geographies. We have Eric Hashberger, Director of Retail Operations for Weldworks in Greeley, Colorado, and Chris Heron, CEO of Creature Comforts here in Athens, Georgia. As Tim mentioned, we thought Chris and Eric would provide great local and national context for breweries adapting to the pandemic and its aftermath. Both breweries have been on Beer Guys Radio previously. This should be a great roundtable discussion. I invite everyone to chime in and share thoughts as we make our way through this topic. Thank you, Chris and Eric, for joining us today. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you. Well, gentlemen, Justin, I'll, I'll start with you here. I guess one question, you know, we've all seen this. I think when it started, none of us expected we'd be three months in and still kind of looking it in the face here. But as things are going and we do start to open up, uh, what are some things that that ha- haven't changed at your breweries over the last uh, you know few months with this, and, and what are the the big changes? Yeah, uh, can chime in with that. Some of the things that haven't changed, um, you know, when this first started, uh, I, we all I think in our company were questioning the the brewing side and and kind of our plans, and um, we we tend to put out a lot of uh, different. Um, either single batches or, or a series of uh, beers. Um, and, and it was a question of, do we keep doing that or are we going to be shifting to um, maybe more shelf-stable beers or paring down the number of options we had? And, you know, after some discussion, we really decided that, you know, especially in a time of uh, a lot of uncertainty and, you know, sometimes probably felt like crisis for some folks of just um, being able to still be um, a place that uh, they they know what they're going to get a, a company a, a business some beer that they're used to and and can help in those times when it is some uncertainty going on and so we we didn't really change that model um, we still you know we're planning and putting out uh, all different kind of beers and uh, styles and kind of sticking to uh, who we are um, and and kept going with that and changes. Uh, Mainly, we're more on the the retail side of having to shift to all uh, to go beers. So there's you know the packaging shifts to all uh, cans, um, and then what that also did um, as uh, we also distribute um, our beer as well. So going out to different um, accounts and you know striking new relationships to uh, now that we had more cans to to put out there. So uh, those were some of the the bigger changes that that came across from this. Eric, do you distribute outside of Colorado, or does Worldworks stay fairly local there? Uh, we we stay fairly local in Colorado. We uh, every once in a while uh, we'll send uh, to some out of state markets, but not consistently. And we also uh, work with some other uh, kind of online kind of retailers to uh, ship out beer who can ship it to anyone in the country and things like that. But uh, for our consistent model, it's in state. 
So that, that was something we've noticed here with distribution is many of the breweries that come here, but we're very limited. We've seen a lot more of them as we've gone through the, you know, the coronavirus pandemic here. And I imagine it's just, you know, they want to sell that beer. So since the, you know, tap rooms, breweries and restaurants are closed, uh, we're just seeing more coming in from distribution from out of state as well. Yeah. And uh, for us, it was, I think we were fortunate in uh, just building those relationships with different distributors over time as we would go to different festivals throughout the country and just able to lean on those relationships. Uh, when we did find that we maybe had some uh, beer volume that we uh, wanted to, to send out out of state that we had some extra as everything was transitioning. Now, Chris, uh, of course, I'm here in Georgia, so I've kind of seen how it's how it's gone along there. Uh, how have things, the same question, I guess, there for, for Creature Comforts, what are the major changes for you and uh, what uh, what has not changed? Yeah, so, you know, I think there's a lot of similarity between what, you know, what Eric said and what we're doing. Um, we haven't had any real, you know, changes to our portfolio strategy in terms of which beers we would make, when we'd make them. We plan a lot of that out pretty far in advance and we've been able to, to stick to that, thankfully. Uh, we, you know, naturally, like many folks, right, when all of our on-premise partners who got hit, you know, the hardest by this went out, uh, we have some sales folks that call on the on-premise. So we uh, we moved those bodies to work in the off-premise, uh, which was seeing an increase for us uh, here in Georgia. And so we shifted that focus. And then those teams, you know, shifted their hours quite drastically as well to, to you know, hit accounts starting at 530 or 6 in the morning and be out of there by by noon. So, you know, just kind of a, a shift in sort of some structural process of how we go to market. We didn't we didn't increase our distribution footprint at all. We've stayed just in Georgia uh, and, and fortunately have been able to, 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 you know, keep the tanks pretty full doing that. Uh, and then, uh, like many others, you know, our tap room changed probably the most drastically. Obviously, that that got shut down. We moved to, you know, drive through, you know, I always love like this touchless, contactless. I don't, I don't know that I'd ever seen anyone use that term before. Um, but now everybody, everything is touchless and contactless. <laughs> uh, so right. we did a touchless yeah. drive through like most. And, um, you know, the laws in Georgia were tough. We weren't able to, to, um, none, we didn't really get any support, quite frankly, um, from the legislative body. So we got no, um, no, com- you know, no anything. Um, so we weren't able right. to, to to send any beer out of state or even uh, to deliver beer or anything like that. So uh, the tap room got hit really hard for sure uh, without, you know, still requiring people to come on site, um, but they couldn't actually sit down or, or be served, um, which obviously was for good reason, but it would have been nice to get some concessions. Right. And that's something we did have some concessions, like for restaurants who normally could not do to-go sales of alcohol. They did pass, you know, laws that allowed them uh, to do some to-go. So at least restaurants got some, you know, some relief in that area where breweries, uh, unfortunately, you know, did not get that kind of accommodation. And and they needed that, you know, so I mean, it's not a, they shouldn't have because we didn't, right? I mean, they should have, they deserved it. And they, they definitely got hit harder. You know, and we're a little bit more fortunate and protected than a lot of our craft beer partners and other fellow breweries here in Georgia, just because we, we do have a large distribution uh, business, you know, and so that that allowed us to be a little more insulated than some of them who were really on site only. Uh, but, you know, for those folks, it really would have been helpful if they could have done some some distribution. Right. Uh, hey, hey, Chris, just quick question or point of reference. So for Creature Comforts, uh, pre pre-pandemic, what percentage of your sales, beer sales, were uh, distribution versus uh, direct-to-customers? And then the direct-to-customers, how much of, what was the breakdown there between taproom draft pours versus to-go beer? Yeah, so, I mean, from a revenue standpoint, 50% of our revenue used to come through the off-premise, 35% of our revenue came through the on-premise draft sales to retailers and 15% was through our tap room. So, you know, overnight we lost 50% of that. And so, you know, I mean, immediately the shift was, we were hundred percent off premise, sure. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then we've had a little bit of recovery in some of the, the tasting room from a revenue standpoint, but the move to all package versus draft is a, a pretty big prop 
you know, pretty big driver of profit difference. Um, so that we've still, even with the, the tap room opening uh, and we were, you know, we made the decision to keep all of our tasting room employees uh, fully employed. And um, we can talk through that later if you want on, on how we figured that out. But um, as a result, you know, that, that's been a, a business that's been losing money for us now for three months, you know, but uh, it, it's, yeah, is what it is. Sure, sure. Eric, kind of, what about WeldWorks? Uh, kind of breakdown distribution versus taproom sales. Yeah, we're about uh, probably that either sixty percent distribution, maybe even sixty-five, uh, and then thirty or sorry, 40, 30, 35 to forty taproom uh, before all of this uh, COVID and uh, the shutdowns and things happen. And in our taproom itself, um, it was about. Uh, 70% um, to-go cans, um, and then about 30% in drafts. So when, when we hit, um, we, you know, we found that, you know, we, we didn't take too much of a hit being able to do the to-go sales through the tap room. I mean, we did lose more on our, our margins with having to, you know, cans being a little bit more costs uh, involved with those. Um, but being able to kind of pivot uh, quickly and, seeing that most of our can sales were already um, or most of our revenue in the tap room coming through just to go beer um, was easy to make that pivot uh, for us, I think, and not uh, have to take a, a big hit in our revenue through the tap room. Um, and then on the sales side, uh, they're pretty similar of more heavy. I don't know the exact kind of that breakdown there uh, through our distribution, um, but more heavy on the, the off-premise accounts uh working with the liquor stores um and again seeing you know as restaurants shut down losing um at first we you know we lost some kind of draft options but uh colorado uh did work pretty quickly to uh allow uh restaurants and that were offering uh to go food to then also offer to go liquor sales as well so they could uh work uh through some of the inventory that they had and, and we saw definitely a drop off of keg sales going uh, to restaurants um, but we had some pick them up still here and there that were able to move that uh, through the help of being able to sell it to go as well hey Eric this is uh, Justin I just have a quick question for uh, you and then then for Chris too with the uh, the pivots obviously all packaged sales uh, going out the door did you have to change any um with your, your staffing model, did you have to change to, you know, maybe an additional shift of packaging, um, uh, extra hours doing packaging? Because obviously, you know, there's quite a bit of beer that would go out of the tap room um, until mm -hmm. it was shut down. But uh, was there any, any any change to your to your labor model as well um, with, with the, the coronavirus? Uh, we, I, I, I know the, the packaging shifts, yeah, they were a little bit longer and uh, more days. Uh, so before this, you know, I roughly about uh, maybe average three times a week is when uh, they would do canning runs. Um, and we were seeing during this um, adding more canning about four to sometimes even five days a week um, of packaging uh, the shifts um, just kind of what that meant is they needed more hands. So I, I think the, the great news was we, we were able to take uh, some of our taproom staff um, that were very eager uh, to kind of have some different positions and now different positions opened up for them. And so they were able to make those moves. So we were able to move more staffing uh, to the packaging side because of um, having, yeah, to spend more time canning beer. That meant all the other seller work being done. Uh, they, you know, that, that team needed more help and more hands so that the, the other duties could be um, done. Um, of course, not having to do as much kegs, which I know as we started moving out of, uh, as draft is opening back more up with accounts and whatnot, the the packaging crew has been <laughs> talking about how happy they are that like oh we finally see kegs on the schedule and they're they're very excited because I think having to can um, you know lots of batches of beers you know I think one the big one was a, a ninety barrel batch uh, was the first time that was fully canned and um, setting a record for like the the number of cases that they can in a day um, was it was definitely I think at times. Uh, kind of just wearing down of um, how much labor that caused, but um, we were able to make those shifts nicely and and not have to lay anyone off because of that. 
Chris, that kind of ties in. You'd mentioned just just a little bit ago since, uh, you know, Eric was kind of talking about his workforce that you were able to keep everyone employed in the tap room, you know, throughout this uh, coronavirus pandemic. How were you able to accomplish that? Well, we for us, you know, it was when all of this hit and I've said this on a couple of things like I think this is the type of time, right, when businesses have this wonderful opportunity to, to find out who they are. You know, you you create values and purpose statements and mission statements. And then um, it's real easy when things are going good and it, it gets, uh, you know, you find out if you, if you mean it when you're, uh, when things are going bad. And one of our values is people over products. And so from the very beginning for us, we kind of just said, okay, you know, based on that value, the people is this sort of last ditch effort. And I, you know, I don't think that we're unique in that way. And we just said, look, we, we kind of took a look at money. We had applied for the PPP loans and said, we're going to just, what we did was we took all of our tasting room staff. We looked back over the last six months, said what were the average tips uh, in the tasting room and what were the average hours an employee worked. And we just committed to them that through the end of June, uh, we would, well, now it's through the end of June, we would, we would just cover that. The company would cover their base pay plus whatever tips they would have made and the number of hours that they regularly would have worked regardless of, we, of whether we could provide them those hours. So they sort of moved to collecting a regular paycheck every couple of weeks. Um, and, and then what we sort of said is, look, now that we've made this commitment, we need everybody's help to figure out how in the world we're going to get some money. Um, right. And it was really through that, that, you know, they went quickly to work on figuring out a drive-through model that, you know, within two days we were able to turn around and, and get up and going. Uh, and I think, you know, taking away some of that fear early on, they helped come up with the ideas of uh, the hand sanitizer that, you know, that we would be able to sell that. And so, you know, we, it, it was, it, it was an, a pretty significant incremental cost, but I think we were able to keep everybody in, uh, you know, in good spirits through it. And, and kind of similar to what Eric was saying, you know, as we started producing hand sanitizer and packaging that, uh, and just other new tasks that arrived, you know, there was, there was sometimes some additional work as well that became available. And so that was, you know, for us, it was more of a sort of value-driven kind of uh, decision. I fully recognize that we are also fortunate to be in a position where we were able to do that. You know, by no means do I think all businesses should have should have done that. You know, I recognize that each business is completely unique, and we're really grateful that we were in a position to be able to do it. Um, and I think, you know, because we were in that position, it was the right thing for us to do was just to, to sort of eat that cost. I see. Yes. And that's, you know, we're starting here in Georgia. I think we're, I don't know if, if ahead is exactly the right term to use in this case, but, uh, we've been on the front end of reopenings and we're, we're somewhat lax and I, you know, in the uh, limitations as we went through all of this. So as we do begin to reopen here and we have seen some breweries and tap rooms that have started reopening, uh, what's that going to look like, Chris, what does kind of the, the near term future look like for Georgia's breweries and tap rooms? I, well, I can speak to, to ours, um, and I am, you know, sit on the board of the guild, so I have some pretty good insight, I think, to a number of what other folks are doing. You know, I think broadly speaking, you know, what we look like is similar to a lot of others. You know, I think to use, you know, your point, right, whether we're ahead or not, you know, the, the state was opened up, um, but that didn't mean the businesses opened up. <laughs> you know, um, a lot of us have, you know, been really cautious. And, uh, and we just started opening our tap room outdoors only about a week and a half ago. We started out and, and the model's totally different. It's a table service model. And from what I've seen and heard from a lot of breweries, you know, that's some of the big changes is a lot more table service than bar setting where people had to stand in a line uh, and interact face to face with bartenders consistently. Um, table service has allowed a lot of us to, to create more space between the guests and ourselves. Uh, also create more space between the guests and then utilizing outdoor spaces, which thankfully, you know, a lot of our breweries have pretty good outdoor spaces. And so, you know, starting there uh, has been kind of, I think, a key for, for a lot of folks, a little different hours. And then a lot of people are still trying to figure out, like, we're, we're still figuring out how do we also do the drive-through? You know, how do we not take away our drive-through, which comes through our parking lot, um, while also doing service out there? Uh, in the parking lot. And so we've adjusted that a little bit just on the different hours that the two are open. But but uh, from a high level, I think it's a lot of outdoor openings, uh, a lot of new sanitation practices and, and masks, you know, particularly for servers. And then, uh, 
you know, just trying to keep social distancing between customers, you know, certainly at least groups of customers. And that was something that I've seen mentioned here, actually, Chris, was that you can't really control totally what people do. And, uh, you know, there's certain people that are probably justifiably extremely nervous about, you know, things going back to normal too, too fast. So, uh, you know, what, uh, what are you able to do there with social distancing as far as, uh, is it just, you know, like you mentioned, kind of limiting access to the to the tap room? Because if people decide to kind of get together and, and have a beer at the tap room, how do you address that? Yeah, so we, we do allow groups to come together, you know. Um, so if there's a group of, you know, for the largest group we can handle is eight. Um, because the biggest table that we can sit them all at. So there's no moving of tables. You know, tables are all, all they're all separated by at least eight feet, um, but, you know, on all sides. So that gives us even a little bit of space for us to have a server be able to walk around safely. Um, And then, uh, you know, there's no getting up and leaving. There is no going to the bar for a beer. You know, it's it's all server. Uh, The only time that, you know, really to leave the table is for going to the restroom. And we have a a clearly defined path for that and, and no more than two people in the restroom at a time. And, you know, there is some concern around, you know, whether people were respect it, but we, we really haven't had any issues. You know, I think people are really grateful to get out who are out. And I think they're being, you know, really respectful of, of understanding the concerns that we all still have uh, as we try to open. And so for us and for most of the breweries I've talked to, it, it hasn't been a big, big challenge. And I think some of the areas that are tougher is a lot of breweries, ours included, have been very kid friendly in the past. And uh, and just trying to figure out how do you manage that dynamic because it's you know the kids love to just go run around and play, and trying to to help families realize like hey they have to stay at the table with you they can't just go uh, run wherever they want to so you know from that perspective we also haven't seen a lot of families trying to bring kids as much you know so I think the the consumer dynamic looks a little bit different um, in terms of who's showing up but we we have had um, because people can't go to a bar um, our inside isn't even open. Um, really haven't had too much trouble and, and have found that, you know, customers have been really respectful of, of the rules. I just think it's really important that breweries explain those rules clearly when the customer shows up. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Eric, same question for you. And I know, uh, I'm sure a lot of it's going to be the same, just the nature of a brewery tap room, but I know laws vary from state to state and how each state is handling things. But what does reopening look like uh, for you there at Weldworks? Yeah, we we took kind of the same course where uh, the state uh, Colorado allowed towards the very end of May. Uh, it started out as more restaurant reopening, um, but uh, the the Brewers Guild here worked really well with the state as well to advocate uh, for ways for breweries to open. Um, if you kind of took more on a, a restaurant model where you had a food option, um, if it's your own kitchen versus or pairing up with um, a restaurant nearby or something of that sort. And, you know, so we, we had that option, I think like, you know, mentioned, Chris mentioned with, uh, uh, same in probably many areas where we could open, uh, but we decided to also, you know, wait and, uh, see kind of what happens and then really start envisioning what that taproom experience would be like. And, um, then the state, um, I think this past week or last week or so, um, is allowing bars to open, with a different capacity limit. And so they kind of took away this, this mandatory food option that you had to have if you wanted to open and kind of ease up a little bit that um, we could work through those uh, kind of legal and uh, executive orders being issued. And, um, and then from there, very similar of uh, utilizing outdoor space. Um, you know, the nice part, I think um, weather-wise we get the, the storms that might go through, but um generally just kind of a nice Colorado dry summer air so you uh, can utilize that outdoor space and and we are in a position of uh, just having um, able to expand out into our parking lot area um, and use that space a lot and 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 that's where we uh, are beginning is just outdoor seating Um, we are kind of trying this hybrid model right now of um, coming in to place an order, but it's not at the bar. It's uh, tables that are stationed away from the bar so that the person who's serving the beer or pouring it actually is not interacting with the customers that they're uh, kind of in their their own space where they're not uh, interacting with customers to so just keep them um, kind of safe from 
um, any possibilities of uh, coming in contact uh, with someone. Um, and then from there, we take the beer out to a table. So we have our tables numbered. And um, so kind of like that, a little model. And uh, But that's the only reason coming in or to use the restrooms um, at this point. And we're working towards just uh, possibilities of things like being able to order from your uh, tables. You know, if you can, you know, pull up your phone and order um, using things like digital menus um, so that we don't have to, one, to keep kind of our, you know, our eyes on how much paper we're using um, and just keeping the paper usage down, just more environmentally friendly and um, having people more access menus on their phone and making it a little bit easier that way as well. So we, we hope to keep experimenting with those so that we can kind of hit different comfort levels that we realize that, you know, there are, there's some, as people are starting to come back uh, out, you know, there, there's some um, of our customers coming in and, and they know exactly what they want. They're just happy. They're like, the places are opening up. They can come get that beer that they've been wanting to have on draft for so long. And so maybe something like a pull up uh, a site on your phone and order from your table works perfectly. Um, but then what about, you know, someone who wants to more talk about the beer and, you know, they have the, the questions and they can and talk with our staff. And um, that's where we have a, an order section um, that we've established that, has different social distancing markers, um, lots of hand sanitizer throughout, um, but but a big enough space too that um, there's really not this worry of a, a line congregating and people feeling like they're compacted into a small space. It's very open um, being able to use our tap room to do that um, and not have any seating. And and down the road, we're gonna have to revisit, You know, eventually the weather's gonna get cold, things like that and what do we how what does indoor seating eventually look like um we'll eventually have to tackle that as well but uh definitely safety in mind and using the outdoor space so that we can keep things uh spaced out and we're we're also working with a reservation system so that um we get a lot of uh different customers from all over the state um a lot um of folks come from Denver picking up their cans and you know just keeping that in mind too is you know, by offering reservations, then you know that you're going to be able to come and have a table instead of uh, just taking that risk of showing up and then um, a line forming or um, just making it kind of a disappointing trip that you can't get in um, because we're, we're say, uh, every table's full. So uh, we're, we're also learning how to handle reservations and uh, working through a system like that as well. And um, been it's been fun kind of opportunity to see different kind of models um i think there's been some anxiety for staff at times because it's a new model but we're working through it slowly to get used to it and and then we make changes as we as we can and uh, as we get feedback so maybe a follow-up question to that um and i guess chris with your maybe from your involvement with the georgia craft brewers guild and maybe justin with your involvement with the colorado guild i'd ask you know it's, and it sounds like both breweries, Creature Comforts and Weldworks, are doing a tremendous job putting customer and employee safety first and foremost. Has the, uh, I guess, the potential threat or uh, looming uh, legal liability from uh, you know a spread of the virus either with your employees or with customers seems that there's been the legislative responses to that have been slow in coming either at the national or the state level. I think we just got some or just got some legislation kicking around in the uh, uh, Georgia legislature. But how, does, has that impacted your decisions at all in terms of uh, you know the reopening and kind of how you're going about things? I guess you know we wouldn't open if we were concerned that um, we couldn't do it safely. You know, so far greater out of my concern is everyone's safety than legal liability. And so, you know, I think right the the, other, the counter to a legal liability is that you did things in a very safe manner, and you had the precautions and the policies, and they were followed, you know. And that and that's kind of always the case, right? I mean, we're always at risk of legal liability in our environments, you know, because of the nature of what we sell. And and either you're you're doing the right thing to protect the public and to create a safe environment, or you're not. And so I'll just like 
quite frankly, I haven't followed too much of what's going on in terms of what protections might be offered or not. Um, because I guess from our standpoint is we're just mostly concerned with ensuring that it's safe, you know, and I think if we put the right safety precautions in and we ensure that the policies are being followed, then, you know, that's that's going to be a, reg, you know, a fairly defensible thing, you know, and, and, and someone would have to, I guess, you know, in that case, what proved that, that we were indeed the area that they contracted at. Um, certainly, you know, I think that if you do everything that you should do for the safety of your employees, that should cover the legal liability and, and the customer that kind of covers the legal liability side. So um, I guess that's that's for me is like the legal liability is kind of like if legal liability is only there if you're not doing things that you should be doing. You know, <laughs> uh, that's the only risk in my in my opinion. Yeah, this is Justin. I'd, I'd echo those sentiments, too. Um, I know the, the Colorado Guild here, the president, um, uh, worked hand in hand with uh, Governor Polis uh, when the reopening was uh, coming down towards the end of May and, uh, you know, came up with all the safety precautions, all the guidelines. Um, you know, obviously in Colorado here, we do have a mask ordinance currently uh, that requires masks in any public settings. Um, so that was a that was a, a definite you know, starter when we got back to reopening. So I'd echo Chris's sentiments. I think as long as you're following the guidelines, I don't think that your legal liability is is too too large. Um, with that said, I haven't heard too much in the legislation about um, you know giving giving businesses immunity from that uh, at this point. Um, and I know from a federal level, I've, I've heard wrinklings of that, but not uh, nothing seems to be gaining too much steam. Um, I actually did have a, a follow-up question from a comment that Eric made, and I, I kind of wanted to hear Chris's his thoughts on this. And, you know, I was pretty impressed, uh, at least here in Colorado and, and you know, probably across the country, too. I'm sure a lot of the states did the same thing with how quickly all the breweries out here pivoted to these online ordering models and getting their apps set up and getting their, their website set up for this is online ordering and, and, and as Chris said, they you know got their drive-through model and then turned around in a couple of days. Um, but uh, you know, I was wondering with the, the reopening and uh, Eric had mentioned the digital menus and I know I've seen some companies at some of the beer festivals that you know have you can put QR 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 codes on the um, on your tables and you know pulls up your menu and you order sugar. Is that going to be something that we're you think we're going to see more of in the industry just given this kind of Con, less contact service um, than we're used to having in, in the brewery setting? Yeah, I absolutely do. I mean, you know, it, this has certainly moved a lot of the digital nature of business forward, right? Whether it's just how you do meetings these days um, to what interactions look like. We're, you know, we're, we don't have something yet. We've definitely talked a lot about the idea of an app and some ways for people to be able to order directly from their table and uh and even pay you know through their phone so that, that we just remove another level of uh of touch point so you know i think you know one of the things that eric said earlier which i think is kind of gets lost in the whole conversation was just this whole idea of what the tap room experience is like and you know at the end of the day i kind of keep saying like if, if the experience like the experience should almost we should we should come out of this better than we went into it you know, we would have never stopped our tap room and gone to a table service model if not for COVID-19. And yet when we think about our purpose, which is um, to foster opportunities for human connection, a table service model is far better than a bar service model in terms of our ability to connect with people and also for people to connect with each other because they no longer have to get up and go stand in a line for 10 minutes away from their group of people. Um, and I think things like you know, providing digital content that they can read through menus on their phone that they can sit and take time to engage with, uh, where they can dig, maybe watch a video, learn more about the beers, um, create conversation starters, uh, are all the types of things that, you know, we, we kind of would have just never stopped things because they were going well. And, and quite frankly, consumers probably would have yelled at us if we tried to switch overnight. And now they would yell at us if we tried to open up the old way. Um, and so it's kind of forced us to rethink things, but I really think that there's, you know, at least for us, you know, I believe we're going to create a better experience for the customers than we did before. And for some people, they may want more of a bar experience, but we really, that's really not what we're about. We really want to sit and engage with customers, talk with them, 
about the different beers that we make and the history of them and why we chose to make them the way we do and where the ingredients are from and, and who that local farmer is. Um, so I think those are all kinds of things that, um, that are really being allowed. And I, and I think to just kind of tie back in like that, that ability to tell story through some digital content while people are at, at your establishment, I think is going to be a, a big thing in the future. And I don't see it ever reverting back. You know, I, I think that is, this is kind of going to be a tipping point for that sort of digital service model. And, and my guess is, you know, people will never really go back the other way. Some big changes coming for sure. Absolutely. That's you are listening to the Hops and Ledgers podcast brought to you by Whitfley LLP. Whitfley ranks among the top 20 accounting consulting firms in the nation for nearly 90 years. They have educated, advised, and assisted clients in the successful navigation of complex and ever-changing business environments. Today, the firm works with more than 150 craft breweries across the country and also provides services to a wide range of adjacent industries, including manufacturing and distribution, construction, real estate, and agribusiness. Whether you are a startup brewery or looking to expand your operations, Whitfleet can help you turn your dream into a successful reality. Learn more and find your local office. Visit whipfleet.com. That's W-I-P-F-L-I.com. Now, Chris, to kind of follow up on what you were just saying there about this, is there any concern, and I know you've addressed many times that, that you are looking to keep that personal touch there. So as we go to these these digital ordering or you know multimedia to view info about your beer, uh, is this going to force uh, kind of humanity in general to, to lose a little bit of our personal touch? Well, I think, you know, that that's the delicate balance, right? You know, I think there's one of the, you know, we have to figure out how to do human connection in a digital age, you know, and I think that is uh, we can either suggest that it's an either or, you know, that we have to do one or the other, in which case the oncoming of digital is scary and we fight it. Or we say somebody's going to figure out how to do this. Let's be the ones that figure it out. And we're definitely on the, the latter part of that to just say, look. This world is coming. This is what it's going to look like. We still believe human interaction is extremely important. So how do we do that in a better way? And um, and do I have the answer? Absolutely not. Um, but we are definitely committed to ensuring that the human aspect of craft beer remains. I think there are incredible stories. Uh, there are incredible way um, you know people involved in this industry. And uh, and we want to make sure that that doesn't get lost. You know, we are because there's a risk, right? If you go too far the other way, you just end up like macro beer. You know, it's just it's just an advertisement without a story. It's a brand without a, a person. And what has gotten craft where it's at is being the sort of antithesis of that, you know, being real people with real stories and beers that that talk about something meaningful or are made from local ingredients. And so. We, we can't afford to, to lose that as an industry. And so I think, you know, my caveat to, yes, we're going to try to move into more digital is I think we all have to figure out how to do that responsibly because if everything goes digital, like quite frankly, craft loses, you know, when Drizzly, the bigger they get, right, or, or Amazon someday gets into beer, then it becomes, well, how do you get found on Amazon? You know, well, you get found by buying advertising. Um, and that's not going to help craft beer. You know, we benefit from the hand, the hand selling uh, versus the digital and in, in, in from a grand scheme of things. Even the, the retailers being able to drive beer to people's homes is not necessarily great for craft potentially because uh, we live on new brands and diversity of portfolios and exciting new things. And if customers don't know it exists, if they don't get the time to shop in the store anymore, if they have to scroll through 50 pictures before they get to the craft section because AB paid the advertising to get the top, top billing on the, the website, um, craft has some potential, you know, big roadblocks ahead. So, you know, there, it's, it's, we need to accept that it's coming and, and figure out how to play in that space. Um, but we, I would caution us about you know, pushing the agenda forward too quickly, because I do think there's some inherent risks with it as well for craft as, a, as an industry. And, and Eric, uh, somewhat on that note, talking about just the, you know, the unforeseen things like losing our personal touch there. Is there anything that, that you can think of that breweries may miss as they look to reopen? Anything that's an easy pitfall to fall into? 
I think uh, one one challenge um, is that communication that uh, with the customer. Um, I think sometimes just really making sure that we um, are are communicating well um, and uh, setting that expectation, uh, but also doing it in a way that doesn't turn off the customer. Um, it, it's a delicate balance there as well. Just kind of seeing different messaging put put out as breweries uh, start opening their tap rooms and um, wanting to create a safe environment, but also making sure that that message is we we want to welcome you know everyone that that we can at a time um, safely and what precautions are being taken and what expectations are being taken and considering that i mean for us you know we um have our we ask that um everyone wears masks when they're moving around and uh, we've seen other businesses in the greeley area kind of uh, struggling with having a mask type of mandate um, and some kind of just giving up where they're like yeah people just are choosing not to they chose to go somewhere else that wasn't uh, being as strict on their mask rules. So they're kind of just dropping a mandate. And, and for us, we looked at it and it's this uh, balance of, we want to keep our staff and our, all the, all of the customers that are there at a time safe. And so it was a discussion of, well, let's have some extra masks on hand, some just disposable surgical masks that, you know, we can say, oh, you know, you forgot a mask, here you go. And, and not turn it into this uh, turn away and say, well, you're, you know, you are not welcome here. And I, and I think that's that, that kind of hospitality view. And, and it's, it's definitely challenging because it's a, it's a different uh, kind of a feel for people to kind of come in and have a little bit more regulations when, when everyone just has that, I want, you know, want to get it back to normal feel. And, you know, we're, we're trying to train on what, normal looks like and get used to that and so um, just finding the ways to do, uh, keep the hospitality in mind um, but also um, having those standards and, and sticking to them because to me that's looking forward is you know in these weeks of opening up you know it, it's fresh on everyone's mind that you need to put that mask on or not go socialize with another table like you know maybe just wave at them from across the across the little the, the tent we set up um, but you can't go sit with them you need to stay with your group and um what, what will it be like you know a month or two months down the road and um just how kind of relaxed everyone um started seeming to get um and now as we're seeing cases on a rise maybe that's going to change a little bit but there was just that relaxed feeling and so that that's for me in the forefront of my mind and talking with um, our taproom manager and our taproom staff is like you know, the first few days, even though there might be some um, just kind of uh, uneased uh, feelings of like, how do I, you know, approach certain situations and um, de-escalate maybe situations where someone's a little upset about a certain policy, um, we'll work through those. But then down the road, that's where it's also challenging because as far as we all see, there, uh, COVID is with us for, for the long haul that we're going to be with these regulations and, and whatnot for, for a while. And, and to me, that's just one thing to also keep in mind is um, how do we keep safety on the forefront, um, not only for staff, um, but for the customers as well. Um, and sadly, don't have like the, the perfect answer to that besides just maybe constant uh, refreshers and reminders, but that, that's one thing I think to keep in mind. Yeah. I think it's going to be something that, it, you know, as, as we're looking at this customer experience, there are going to be, there are going to be customers and uh, that comply. And again, we ultimately, we've got to do the right thing for the customers so that they're, you know, our, our other customers are safe, our employees are safe and we create a safe environment. So um, I did want to go back and we've been talking a good bit about the customer experience and how it's augmenting and changing. And I would say one thing through social media channels, historically, the, you know, craft brewers 
have done a tremendous job of establishing, you know, whether it's through, um, you know, new release announcements, uh, you know, special events at the tap room, musical events, uh, farmers markets, just different things that are going on, have done a real nice job, I think, of connecting on on a virtual kind of one-on-one basis with a lot of their customers that have signed up for, you know, whatever social media feeds those are. And Chris, I think you mentioned it, that, you know, we're not trying to be, you know, try and get ourselves, we're, we probably won't fare very well trying to be in a big digital marketplace like an Amazon. So, I mean, can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, social media and kind of how how you see that changing, as, whether that's online sales portals, I guess, Eric, you mentioned a little bit about, you know, making reservations and, uh, you know, uh, virtual ordering and a, a number of other things. How do you see social media continuing to impact this? Yeah, I mean, uh, so I'll just kind of I'll social media and then talk broadly for, for digital as well. I mean, I think for most of us who are craft brewers and really any business these days, right, but certainly for small business in general beyond just craft beer, social media is our main platform for conversation with consumers. You know, it is our main marketing uh, channel because it doesn't cost anything. You know, I mean, it does if you buy ads, I guess. But, you know, broadly speaking, it's an extremely uh, effective way to communicate direct to consumers who have, you know, for lack of, who have opted in um, for your communications. Uh, and, and so, you know, I think we're all already kind of moving heavily down that path. And I, and I actually think that, you know, I, the, the small breweries or craft is on the, that platform is better set up than, than the big folks because we have stories to tell. And that I think again is it's how we leverage that social media. I think taking it and in, in the past, we have used it very much to announce beer releases and it's been sort of very product focused. Um, I think there's going to need to be some change in that to, to be a little bit more storytelling of who we are and what we're about, uh, particularly if we don't get the as many opportunities to do it one-on-one in person. Uh, and then I think broadly from a digital standpoint, you know, we've had a lot of success with things that there's no reason we didn't do them before, uh, but now we've, we've started doing them, which is, you know, like a virtual beer dinner where... You know, we're going with an accountant in Atlanta that has a meal that people come and pick up with a beer from Creature Comforts. They take it home to eat it at their house and everybody logs on it at seven o'clock and we're there and we, you know, there's 30 people on a Zoom call. And, you know, that again to me is the type of stuff that look, the ABs, the Miller Corps, they can't do that. They don't have anyone to get on a call that quite frankly is going to be interesting to a group of people to talk about the history of our brewery or our beer. And I'm sure that that's a no for exaggeration. Um, but I, I worked in that, it, that with those groups of breweries for, I guess, 12 years. And, you know, they don't just have that authentic storyteller the same way. And so I think that's the kind of example of how we can leverage digital to still create human connection, right? Like we can create a connection with a consumer in a small environment that is actually like just not an effective way, nor will AB and them try to play in that because reaching consumers 25 at a time over a one and a half hour dinner is not, is not what they're going to do. You know, that's not. And so I think that's the kind of stuff where we all have to start thinking about how we leverage social media and digital to, to tell our story and to connect with consumers because we're not going to have quite as many opportunities to do it in person. And if, if we just try to use our social media as brand building, like, you know, informational, then we're going to just totally lose our ability to connect with consumers. So, you know, we've been really trying to figure out how do we leverage those opportunities, whether it's even just a, an, a, an Instagram conversation with, you know, Eric and us getting together to talk. We've got one coming up with Monday Night Brewing to just, you know, and these are things that we could have done forever ago, but we didn't. Um, and consumers are interested in hearing what we have to say. And, you know, and obviously things like this, right, like Beer Guys Radio you know, being more engaged in this content and realizing this is like, you know, always has been, but is even more uh, such an effective way to, to communicate to consumers in a, in a more direct way when we can't be face-to-face anymore. 
That's uh, we've definitely seen a lot of breweries, you know, capitalizing on that with uh, whether it's a remote Zoom session that they let everybody join in. Uh, they've invited people in, maybe some things that people, you know, don't get a chance to see at all normally. You know, they'll have a Zoom call from the brew deck and they'll get to actually, you know, watch them there brewing. Uh, I've even seen some that have continued with their trivia nights and such, you know, inviting those, just doing those online and, and trying to stay engaged there. So, uh, I, it's, it's, you know, been much appreciated considering we've all been locked in our houses for months to, to have, at least those options are there, you know, to, uh, to do stuff like that. For a creature, one of the values is make it better. You know, another one's, you know, crave curiosity. So it's like, we need to be curious about this new world and we need to figure out how to make it better, you know? And I think, I think craft is just a, out of all industries, craft is an incredibly crafty group or, you know, sort of snazzy group of entrepreneurs you know they just work really hard um we've had to overcome so many things i mean just in georgia and you know this tim but the different sure. changes in laws the taproom this is like model 3724 of taproom operations that we've had to do in the six years since we've been open so right. i think we're a pretty um a pretty tough group of people who are very entrepreneurial in spirit and will figure out a way and uh i'm you know i'm excited to see where craft comes out of this yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, a lot of things learned and hopefully we can take what we've learned through this awful situation. And like you said, Chris, apply it to the future and, and kind of get the best of both worlds out of that for sure. Well, Justin, a question for you kind of shifting gears a little bit, looking at the financial side of things. Uh, when we would, when we did episode one, we talked about uh, the the relief that was out there, you know, through different uh, different credits and and uh, loans and grants and such. So as this has went on longer, I've you know, I know none of us thought we'd be in this three plus months later. But is there anything new out there? Are there any new resources for breweries that are that are struggling? We have seen. You know, some businesses have shut down and have said the the coronavirus uh, epidemic uh, pandemic is the reason for that. Are, is there any other relief out there available? Yeah. Um, you know, right now, uh, the PPP loan and the EIDL loans are set to expire at the end of this month. So uh, th- those avenues are going to be uh, shut off currently uh, as it stands. They are still uh, close to $100 billion left in the PPP fund. So they... They may uh, they may extend those with the next round of legislation, which is uh, apparently in the works. Uh, I don't know how far along um, any of those have gotten uh, at this point. I know there's a lot of infighting about you know, the, all the all the small little nuances of all the bills. Usually, the, the big stuff is is pretty uh, is pretty uh, uh, cross both aisles that needs to get done. So, um, but from a local standpoint, I actually just got an email I, I, literally a few few minutes ago from uh, our state and local. Uh, team out here in Colorado has actually just passed a, a small business recovery loan program. So at the local level, I think you're going to see some relief efforts uh, come across um, until we can uh, potentially get another relief package from a, a federal standpoint. Um, but uh, you know, right now, if you haven't gotten a PPP loan or an EIDL loan uh, put in, they're still available. Um, there's still plenty of money. Um, so I would say, but they're also set to expire pretty soon. So that's uh, something that needs to, to get done uh, pretty pretty quickly. Um, but until then, it's, it's yeah, looking at the local levels, lots of grants uh, out there for small businesses. The SBA, even outside of the PPP and EIDL, is still a great avenue um, for small businesses if they need a little bit of uh, runway uh, currently. And, and, and really just, I think this is a great time. Um, and, and at least I know with my clients, seen personally, this is a great time to really reevaluate your business model and your business in general and streamline it and make it more efficient. Um, I think the, the online ordering systems, these, uh, you know, the packaging, all that stuff, it, it's a way to really, it's, it's really a good time to, to take a step back because um, you're not as busy, busy with the day-to-day um, with having the tap room open all the time. I think a lot of my clients kind of lost sight of the overall business, just trying to get what was, you know, five inches in front of them done instead of looking, you know, uh, you know, five days in front of them. Uh, so I think it's a really great time for businesses to really sit down and reassess, uh, you know, how they operate and the ways that they can operate more efficiently and, and effectively to, to make their businesses smoother and, um, you know, more profitable, to be honest. A lot to think of, a lot to look at here. Uh, gentlemen, I think we've we've addressed most of what we had on the table here. Pat, Chris, 
Eric, anything additional that we need to cover here about this reopening? I think it's been a tremendous, uh, you know, tremendous forum here. And I mean, we've covered a lot of space, maybe, you know, one last uh, flash round here, Chris or Eric, anything, any major changes to your business model? You know, Chris, I think you mentioned, you know, tap room 3,700 version 3,700 something major changes that you guys are already contemplating uh, going forward, changes in your, whether it's distribution model, your, uh, obviously we've talked a lot about the tap rooms here, but any significant changes that you foresee that you can share currently? Um, you know, I, we've always kind of had a, a bit of a, you know, multi-pronged approach in terms of distribution and tap room uh, and the desire to expand on both of those. So, you know, I don't think that there's been a huge change in that. I will say that, you know, probably pre-COVID, we were much more bullish on like we should open more tap rooms. Um, and now, you know, I think that has been tempered a little bit, you know, to, to say, well, should we do that or should we invest the money behind, you know, some marketing and new markets to grow the brands? Um, so I, I don't know that we're going to change direction. You know, the strategy will be the same, but which steps we take in what order? Uh, I could see there being some, you know, some significant differences in that. And we've had to relook at the taproom model uh, for sure. You know, what we would have built perhaps in the past is something that we would now go look at and say, OK, you know, what happens if this just continues to come or the next COVID comes? Is it can we build that model sustainably? Um, you know, well, so, yeah, I think there's been some significant. Let's stop and think about this. Hey, Eric, that actually leads into a, a good question. Uh, I know Weldworks was in the process of, of opening a second location in uh, you know, south of Denver. Um, yeah. You know, has this has this pandemic, uh, you know, tempered that? And I know I know construction out here in, in this state is is always slow. Um, but, uh, you know, even even when the construction can get it gets moving, um, you know, is that really tempered your guys's thoughts on, on even opening that as a you know, sit down location currently? Uh, yeah, we uh, were hitting, we hit right when uh, our building permits COVID hit. Uh, we're kind of in that process of being approved. So we definitely had uh, some more timeline setbacks on that. Um, as things are opening up, uh, that process is moving forward. Um, and we're, we're hoping uh, we'll have some uh, movement on being able to start building. And, and I think once we see what the possible timeline is, um, it, you know, it, if it's something where we're more in the winter months, it might be a, you know, waiting, you know, delaying until weather is nicer or starting uh, a soft opening that kind of lasts longer. Uh, but we are still planning to uh, yeah open up our second location in the Springs in Colorado Springs here and um, moving forward with that. And uh, so far, um, yeah, we're just kind of in that, that midst of all the, the, the things that the, red tape that is done before we can start constructing, but everything is lined up so that we can uh, hit the ground running once we uh, get permits and all of that piece. And, and I think for us, it's still looking at that market um, and, and seeing um, where we can have an impact there and that we still believe that we can and that uh, we know we have a lot of um, fans of Weldworks um, in the Colorado Springs area and still want to have that experience down there for them. So timing wise might be the only thing is we see what happens come this fall if um, things get worse and maybe it's not the best because it is a smaller location and it won't have as ease of doing an outdoor seating um, area like we can up in the Greeley location. And so we might be waiting and seeing, you know, once construction is done. Uh, but yeah, we're still we're excited, and I think our our staff is very excited as they've heard about it for for a while, and um, just this kind of delayed it longer. So um, we're we're hoping we we'll hear some good news in the coming weeks. You know, Eric, that made me think of another question here. Uh, we saw kind of our beer festival season just get totally destroyed this year, and uh, this definitely looks like something that's going to impact that in the future. And we know that you have your big invitational beer festival there. What is the future of the beer festival going to look like? Yeah, that that's a, a great question. And we, yeah, we made the decision uh, to cancel the invitational this year. Um, and, and the, in, 
ideas and the decision on that was really looking at, you know, first delayed it from June to October. Um, and, and the festival itself has been held indoors um, and thinking like, you know, if we're in the midst of people wearing masks and social distancing and, um, you know, all of those things that, that do need to happen, but how does that affect the actual festival? And we, for us, it was like, it, it really diminishes and takes away from the experience we really wanted to, to create and have created in the past. Um, for the future of festivals, I, I think it's going to be challenging. I, I, I do foresee maybe, maybe not this summer. I mean, there's a few maybe in Colorado that have been moving forward with their plans, uh, just different festival organizers that have planned for outdoor festivals. Um, for us, we um, just kind of decided we'll, we'll pull back and, and wait and see before we, we know what happens with our festival in the coming future. Um, but maybe outdoors is where things do start, but, um, seeing, you know, limited capacities, um, probably more disposable cups, things like that. Um, but it really have to gauge the, the comfort for people to be able to go out and, um, really you're mingling and how do you keep things safe with people moving around? Um, that, that will be challenging. And I, I know there's been some, you know, virtual festivals, um, and, and maybe, that's still in that kind of creative process that, you know, will there'll, there'll be some that um, are going to take a, a try at it and learn from it and develop those more. So maybe we will see more digital type of virtual festivals. However, you know, that model might look like, um, I think we're still in the beginning phases of that to see, will people attend that? You know, what, what does that even, you know, that to me, that's hard for my head to wrap around, especially thinking of like GABF and, you know, how, how everything, and I know they're starting to get their plans working on and how that looks, because the whole idea is to go experience and try things. And how do you create that when, you know, someone isn't going to be able to go and actually try it where they might be going to a local brewery they always go to, or going to a liquor store and picking up some craft uh, beer brands that they could always get. How do they get something that they don't ever get to try and that to me it seems like the challenge and um yeah i think maybe next season especially summertime maybe there'll be a little bit more clarity of what that looks like and and maybe we'll be in a different situation where uh festivals can start making a comeback yeah to add to that uh eric i i did recently read that uh, Wyoming is still going to hold their annual uh, beer festival a little bit north of us so i'm i'm interested to see you know, I'm not sure I'm, I'm quite ready to go, but I'm interested to see how they actually, how they handle that and how they handle the crowds and the mingling and the, the, the distancing that needs to be done. Because while Wyoming is a, you know, one of the states that's had a very low um, COVID rate and, and, and size, you know, you don't just get the people from Wyoming, you're getting people from out of town, from Colorado, you know, that travel um, to go to those type of festivals. So you're, you know, much like, uh, you know, spring breakers, uh, you know, going to, to Florida and then going back to their respective states. I, I think that's what you know, a lot of these larger beer festivals um, entail. There's a lot of people that travel to these. So and that's that's where the risk, I think, or, or a big part of the risk is in spreading you know, this, this, this virus more is, is going to uh, an event like that and then flying back to another state um, or even flying from another state and, and bringing it to a state like Wyoming. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I, I grew up in Wyoming, actually, so I can understand maybe the, the attempts and see what, what happens. And I'd be very interested, too, to see how they handle it. And um, still probably also agree with you, Justin. I'll, I'll probably not be in attendance, uh, but maybe you can reach out to breweries or, you know, if anyone that I know from Wyoming, maybe if they go. So one of our, our, uh, our sales manager actually lives in Cheyenne and commutes down and it's about an hour from Greeley, so uh, he might have some insight on that as well. Be interesting to see see what goes on out there. We'll have to keep an eye on to the states that do this and see how it works out for them, especially those that are, you know, Texas is seeing a big spike with the way they've reopened, but a state like Wyoming kind of see how things go. Because I like the social aspect of beer. I'm, I miss it. I want it back. So hopefully we can get it. I think we all do. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, Chris and Eric, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your expertise. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, Justin and Pat, thank you for, uh, you know, joining, sharing your knowledge and helping direct this conversation. Thanks to Whipflee for sponsoring these discussions. Uh, Pat, if people have additional questions or want to learn more, uh, where can they go to do that? Great. Yeah, Tim, appreciate that. And I'd also like to add my thanks to Chris and Eric uh, representing Creature Comforts and Weldworks, respectively, for being part of this informative discussion. Thanks, Justin, for your insight. And Tim, thank you for helping pull all this together. If you've got questions about SBA loan programs, uh, uh, PPP loan forgiveness applications, new legislative developments, anything that's happening right now for your beer business and, or in response to the pandemic, Check out our website at www.wipfly.com. That's www.wipfly.com. And at that landing page, there is a COVID-19 resource center you might find very helpful. So thanks again, Tim. Absolutely. Thank you, Pat. You've been listening to Hops and Ledgers, Episode 2, where we've discussed reopening your brewery amid the coronavirus pandemic. Thank you for tuning in and be sure to look for additional episodes in the future. Cheers. Duke's Mayo. Do you get it? Because only the ones that get it really get it. Your friends get it. Your mom gets it. Your grandma gets it. Your neighbors get it. Sometimes a dog gets it. Get out of there. What else? Uh, Your potato salads get it. BLTs get it. Tailgates get it. And restaurants get it too. By now, even you probably get it. So get it today. Made without any sugar since 1917, Duke's is that little southern something that makes good things better. Get Duke's. It's got twang.